Nathan, it's Crosstown Conversations, and Charlie Tatum is with us today, and he has a lot to tell us because um, he is representing the New Orleans Museum of Art, and there's a lot going on. It is the spring, and uh, I don't know. I mean, we have a lot going on in New Orleans every day, every weekend of the year, but this certainly is always a, a kind of fulcrum point when things um, really explode and then and, and then come on uh, strong for programs that will live for a while, even including during the summer. But at the moment, my very favorite event, I, honestly, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I love Art in Bloom. And I'll tell you what I love about it, aside from the fact that it's always beautiful and pretty. And it's, it's so much fun uh, seeing the artworks interpreted. And you're gonna explain that a little bit further. But um, it's there's always something new. It's totally original. It's totally new. And those are two really important words to me. I like to, I, I want to know what the latest thing is and, and what crazy ideas somebody has come up with. So this is this is the event to see that kind of creativity. So tell us about Art and Bloom. First of all, give us the dates, the circumstances, and let's talk about the art. Yeah, of course. I think. Uh, as you were hinting at, Art and Bloom really feels like the kickoff of spring for us here at the museum. And it is, of course, an annual tradition that we all look forward to. Uh, this year, Art and Bloom will run Thursday, March 23rd through Sunday, March 26th. And during that time, visitors to the museum will see the space and galleries really transformed. Um, floral designers, garden clubs, young artists, and also a lot of up and coming design talents create these really sumptuous floral displays inspired by all of the beloved art in Noma's permanent collection. So the galleries really transform and, and I really feel like it's a new way to see the museum when you go through and see these favorite paintings that we visit and revisit and come back to and then see how other artists in uh, in New Orleans and beyond really reinterpret those um, through flowers. 
So uh, I, I think also uh, there's a, there might be a work of art that you're either familiar with or, or very familiar with, and to see it interpreted by somebody, uh, often it, it could be an interior designer, it could be an architect, it could be an artist, it could be a citizen. Um, and, and you just never know what someone's going to come up with. And it usually, a lot of times it has kind of a tongue-in-cheek feeling to it. You know, someone is 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 uh, kind of mining the humor um, in in what they do, and that's always the fun part too. And and I find it so photogenic. I mean, I just my camera is going the whole time I'm walking because it's how can you resist? Um, they're just so intriguing. Give give uh, give folks a, a little maybe a couple samples that you can think of that are coming up this year that um, are are going to be fun to see. Yeah, you know, a few um, a few designs that I am particularly excited about um, are some tablescapes from Palm Orleans, um, who are, are also a sponsor of Art and Bloom, um, as well as uh, some designs by Urban Earth Design Studios. Um, I know they have some exciting things planned. Um, and I always love looking at the, the young artists' works as well. So Evelyn Jordan Clay Kids is one of them that that I'm really excited about. It's always fun to see what the youngest artists um, Come up sort with. of take take from uh, really this annual tradition, right? So give me a, give me a draw me a picture. Uh, tell me one uh, view that um, I just don't want to miss. Um, well, I um, can't share too much insight into what actually will be on view in the galleries, but my uh, really kind of favorite scene every year is being able to walk through, um, especially the Renaissance and Baroque galleries uh, downstairs on the first floor and really seeing these timeless works of art that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years take on a new life when they're put in conversation with these really exciting, literally fresh designs um, that are only here for a short amount of time. It's kind of nice to have that, you know, tradition of um, still life painting, you know, from the Baroque era, Baroque era that was really about this kind of the momentary pleasures of things like flowers and food um, and sort of see that brought to life. So, so I always find that really um, a powerful experience. And that was our first mention of the word flowers, I think. Um, <laughs> but that's what it's all about, folks. And, and who doesn't love flowers? I mean, I, I just don't know. I, I'll never forget in my early um, post-college days on my first jobs that barely pay you anything, buying flowers out of every paycheck. And it was a chunk out of my meager wages, but I, I had to have them. I just had to have them. And um, to see them used as creatively as they are used, they're not, they're not just sitting in a vase as a rule in these exhibits. So that's that's the fun of it. It's really not only uh, reinterpreting the artwork, but reinterpreting um, nature using the the flowers themselves in, in ways that are new and different and gives us ideas for what we can do with them in our settings, in our homes. And um, sometimes I try them and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, but it's always fun to try. I well, know, it's, uh, always, it's always fun to kind of imitate those uh, skills from the professionals, of course, right? Try to bring it home. Um, of course, I know that 
I always end up with not quite as stunning the display as we're able to see during Art and Bloom, but it is always fun to try and bring um, bring a little piece of that home too. Right. So um, it's like how many um, exhibits will there be this year? Do you know? There will be, um, I do not know the exact number, but it is dozens and dozens. It really fills yeah. up the whole museum from the first yeah. floor throughout the second floor and around um, around the mezzanine that overlooks the Great Hall. And then um, one of our favorites upstairs on the third floor are a few different Ikebana groups who take inspiration from the Japanese art collection. So it really is the entire museum um, and it feels, uh, it feels really special to be able to lend the museum to all of these really incredible designers and artists um, who are working with something so uh, momentary and fleeting as flowers. And alive, definitely alive. Um, so um, I wonder uh, if, if people, uh, is there, I think by the, you have them up for several days. So I imagine that by the end of those several days, we know what happens with flowers. Unfortunately, they, they, they kind of fade and, and uh, collapse, you know, flowers do that. And um, so you can't really sell the sell them, which is kind of a shame that we don't have. Maybe that's something, uh, Charlie, to think about in the future, that there might be a, a, a room or a part of the show where the work is actually um, for sale. Uh, it would have to be right at the beginning of it so uh, people can take it home while it's still fresh. But um, I always I want I want I want one of those um, floral arrangements to come home with me. All right, so that's a very exciting way to start the spring. It certainly, as I said, is my favorite, but I know you have a lot of other things going on. So let's uh, talk a little bit about what else is happening. Yeah, of course. Um, just wanted to add one more thing on Art and Bloom. Uh, we will have a uh, patron and preview party on Wednesday, the 22nd. So that's next Wednesday. Um, there really is that kind of first moment to get in there and see the displays. Um, and um, it's a really great, great opportunity to kind of get a sneak peek. Um, and um, tickets are available for Art and Bloom for the entire run um, of the displays through Sunday. Um, and NOMA members do, do receive free admission there. So it's an exciting opportunity and um, we're really grateful for First Horizon's support and, and helping us pull off this event again this year. And maybe if you want to, I, I, I don't know if this is unfair, but if you have the names of your um, chairs available, maybe we should just give them a little credit because I know how much work it is to do those things. <laughs> yeah, of course. Our um, our chairs this year are Katie Gilley and Anna Schaefer, um, who are working really closely with the NOMA Volunteer Committee Chair, Elizabeth Grimes. And um, Art and Bloom is a fundraiser for both NOMA and the Garden Study Club of New Orleans. So we're really grateful to their president, Catherine Favreau, for, for her partnership as well. Um, it's definitely an event that can't, can't take place without a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, exciting partnerships and friendships in the city. So um, it's great to be able to give them a shout out too. Right. All right, so now what else? Um, other things coming up, like I said, this really feels like the beginning of spring. So 
Um, it is a really busy time in the city and at Noma as well. Um, to uh, bring it back to the art for a moment, um, would love to um, also highlight our current uh, major exhibition on the first floor, uh, which is called Black Orpheus, Jacob Lawrence and the Imbari Club which presents a collection of works done by the celebrated artist Jacob Lawrence following uh, two trips that he made to Nigeria in the early 1960s, right after Nigeria um, achieved independence from colonial rule, um, which was really this exciting moment where artists were figuring out how they would visualize um, this sort of new era in Nigerian history. So Lawrence's works um, are presented alongside works by artists in Nigeria, throughout West Africa um, and around the world who were all connected by this one publication that came out of Nigeria called Black Orpheus. Um, so it's a really, a really great moment to see a figure like Jacob Lawrence who um, is perhaps more well known um, in the United States and see his new work in a new way and also learn about um, a lot of artists who are really helping to define what modernism looks like around the globe. Um, so it, it is a really, um, a really special moment and one of the, um, the first times many of these works have been, been on view in the United States. Um, it, it, these works came from where they're, they're traveling or they're from your collection or a little bit of both? Um, they, um, they are loaned from a number of collections. So the, the exhibition was co-organized um, between Noma and the Chrysler Museum in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, so the, the works are really coming from uh, a lot of different locations, but they were all actually, all of the artists were featured in this one Nigerian publication Black Orpheus. Um, so it involved a lot, a lot of tracking down where where the works ended up many decades later. Hmm. So the garden. The garden, of course. Uh, um, spring is a great time to be there if you want um, to continue your exploration of floral displays. Um, the Best Off Sculpture Garden is really on uh, you know, in full bloom right now. Um, we have a great uh, Louisiana Rainbow Iris Festival on April 2nd um, in partnership with the Greater New Orleans Iris Society. Um, it's a, a wonderful opportunity to look at the Louisiana irises that, um, that we have here um, in the garden that uh, are, are early bloomers. Um, so they, they're really usually some of the first blooms that we see across the city. Um, and then also on April 1st, we'll have the Noma Egg Hunt and Family Festival, which is uh, an all ages event um, where... Uh... Oh, wait, are you telling me I can hunt for my own eggs? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. we, we, we do encourage it for children, but um, we do... Have, How about the uh... child in us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so... I have a serious thing. As serious the thing as I have about flowers... I have an even more serious thing about eggs because I'm I'm a half and halfy, right? I'm, I'm I'm Jewish and Catholic, but I was raised Catholic. I'm not religious, but I love Easter. 
Because really what Easter is about, when you think about it, the theme of the resurrection, it is the resurrection of life that happens in the spring. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is I have pressed my husband into service in doing um, little tableaus for me every Easter. And so again, looking for that new creativity based on old themes. So um, yeah, I'd like to go collect a couple eggs. Now I did also a fundraiser for Pop Fountain based on eggs, just so you know, we did an egg, egg exhibit, we sold them, so. Oh, great. <laughs> I, I, maybe um, I just have to change my clothing a little yeah. bit. <laughs> well, these will be, um, they're uh, 18,000 <laughs> eggs in the sculpture garden. 8,000? Um, wow. uh, and, um, oh, and that's April 1st, you said? That, that's on April 1st, what and time? we do, um, it starts at 10 a.m. and then there are two egg hunts that start at 10.30 for ages um, ages four and under and ages five and up. Five um, and up, that's me. <laughs> um, but it really is a fun event. There's face painting, games, um, drinks for the parents, music. Um, and it, it's, you know, we, we really love it because um, a lot of families do of course come and it's uh oftentimes their first experience as a family together with young children here at the museum and it feels like a really nice um uh, a nice welcome to to a lot of young visitors uh, it must be just a wonderful time of discovery for the kids you know if they're coming into a museum i'll, I'll never forget my first experiences in museums in in uh Growing up in New York, it was the Natural History Museum, and the uh, oops, sorry, um, and the um, uh, MoMA. Basically, were the two that um, I really loved. More so than I don't know why, not the Met so much, but that came later. Yeah, so that's uh, that's a wonderful thing to think about what those kids are experiencing as they go through the the um, sculpture garden, which is a pretty amazing thing that uh, we're happy to have. I'm so sorry, I should have turned my phone off and I didn't quite do that. Okay, so garden. Now, this is not right. Okay, next. Um, those are the biggest highlights that I am thinking of at the moment. We do have some um, ongoing, um, ongoing programs that are also um, uh, pretty fun. I'm loving our Noma at Night series, um, which are uh, late night experiences at the museum that give people the opportunity to, to come into the museum after hours, um, experience the exhibitions, and um, also sort of see the museum in a new way. Um, so our next one will be on April 14th. And it'll be taking inspiration from uh, from the exhibition Black Orpheus um, that I mentioned earlier. But there's a great music lineup for that. We'll have live music from the Kumasi Afrobeat Orchestra and um, DJ sets um, that are inspired by uh, West African music um, and Afrobeat. Um, and so it'll be, um, you know, a little bit of uh, an older audience than the egg hunt, um, but it is a, a really fun, lively um, atmosphere to to visit the museum. 
I'm going to ask you to pause for just a moment. I want to note this needs to be edited out, but um, somebody's being truly obnoxious and uh, calling over and over again, and I have to figure out. I thought I turned my volume down, but it's uh, not happening. Okay, now it's down. Um, okay, sorry. Okay, and um, uh, normally, um, you know, this, this summer is a funny time. I mean, it, it's it's uh, in New Orleans, it it it's, it doesn't seem to keep people away. I mean, we have all the festivals that happen all over the city, so people are coming here. Even though the last place I really want to be, quite frankly, is I'm not a humidity girl. So, um, but I'm always here for some reason or another. I get involved in something that requires me to to stay in town, um, but. Going to the museum on a hot Sunday is such a, a wonderful relief. It's nice and cool. Um, you have a, a place, the cafe is so great. You can get the terrific things to eat there and drink. And so you can relax a little bit in between looking at this part of the museum and the other part. So what do you have going for the summer? Yeah, so we have... Um... We'll of course have uh, the permanent collection always on view, which I find is a great, uh, great opportunity to revisit during the summer. Um, but then we'll have two um, really big, exciting exhibitions. Um, one uh, is called Fashioning America, Grit to Glamour. So it'll be sort of big uh, blockbuster look at American fashion and the history of American fashion going from a 19th century denim frock coat to gilded age dresses to uh, a jumpsuit that was worn by Big Frida. So we're um, really excited for this pretty big look at uh, American fashion that also um, looks at a lot of designers and voices that maybe haven't been included in, in the story of um, uh, of garment making here in the US. So it's it's gonna be really fun, really beautiful, um, and uh, a great opportunity to to beat the heat. Um, and at the same time, we'll, we'll also have an exhibition called Ring Redux that is um, presenting a collection of over a hundred rings that are um, sculptures in their own right. So, um, they might not be something that you wear every day, but um, they are kind of artful, beautiful um, creations on their own that will be. Um, is that is that basically from a local artist or international or national or what? Um, they are from an international group of artists. Um, so it is um, a collection that is traveling from the SCAD Museum of Art um, and um, will be uh, will be on view. Oh, that's fantastic. What are the dates on that? Um, the dates for Ring Redux are May 5th to February 4th. So it'll be up for quite a while. And then um, Fashioning America, which will be um, will be this really big uh, blockbuster exhibition, will open July 21st and run through Thanksgiving. So we're going to give... Um the uh, Met a run for their money <laughs> on the fashion side, right? And yeah, I'll... so there's there really is a lot to see and it's great to be able to um, 
think highlight such a diversity of exhibitions too. There's always um, always something exciting to find here um, or to pique your individual interests. And I really want to urge people to think about going to the museum as a fun adventure. I think some folks who are not regular museum goers think of museums in a kind of stuffy way. And um, that's not how they are. I mean, maybe in the old days when they were primarily collections of Victorian, um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a normal American word for tchotchke because I'm used to the word tchotchke, but just, you know, knickknacks, I guess you would say. But um, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's more than that. It really is uh, eye-opening in many ways, fun, and um, it's 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 easy. This is one thing I think people don't realize. Walking around in the New Orleans Museum of Art, I don't know about every museum, but the, the New Orleans Museum of Art is very convenient to, to get around in. It's, it's uh, The cafe is right there on the first floor. Um, there are elevators to get up and down and, and not little teeny things tucked in a corner somewhere, but nice big, comfortable, and then when you get off the elevators, there's always a special exhibit right in the hallway facing you as you walk through the doors and then into the special areas that are on the map that you can follow and, and pick what you want to focus on. And that's another thing. You don't have to go thinking you have to see it all. You can go for a particular show at a particular time. And that's one of the reasons why you do your special shows. It all sounds fantastic, and I, I resisted um, having to say for the third time how much uh, I love fashion. I mean, now it's 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 eggs, flowers, and fashion. You got me on all three, and so I, you can count on me. I will be out there. Of course, it's easy for me. I live on Esplanade, so <laughs> I'm in the neighborhood. But um, And that's actually something that uh, I should mention, too, is that New Orleans Museum of Art, in City Park is such a beautiful setting. You can go for a swan walk, uh, ride on the lake. You can go through the sculpture garden. You can wander over to Pop's Fountain, which is one of my favorite little spots. There's all kinds of little secret spots. You can go to Cafe de Monde, the botanical gardens. I mean, it, there's so much going on there. So um, you can plan both an indoor and an outdoor experience. And um, it's just it's a great place to go to. Charlie, yeah. you're lucky man that you get to work there. Thank you so much, Jean. just an incredible menu of things to do as our spring in New Orleans um, springs. I mean, it's just so incredible. And um, the Tennessee Williams Festival is one of the greats that, uh, how many years has it been now? Sal Menino, who's the director of Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, wow. is with us. And he is going to tell me how many years. Do you have any idea? The first year of, of it was 1986. Decades. 
this is decades this is this has been going yeah. on and not to mention of course um how uh many years ago the play was actually written do you know that yeah so that's been about 70 years roughly yeah so it's it's always amazing when we deal with cultural products so to speak that are um coming from such a different uh, time on earth and they still have resonance and and relevance as does cat on the hot tin roof mm -hmm. and the key question that i really wanted to put to you that i wanted to ask is why what is that about what is it about this play that we all just keep wanting to go see it you know i think this story uh, one of the beautiful things it, it it has been commercialized in a variety of ways so the exposure the reach of a play like this just being turned into a the film um you know with elizabeth taylor and paul newman you had two movie versions of this play as well so I think it's really special when you can have a piece of theater that just one has the the magnitude to reach a lot of people and generationally, which I think is really nice. Um, you know, re-analyzing uh, the script, um, I think we come back to this again and again because of the real struggle of these human beings. These characters are um, very complicated, very human. And um, I think there's a lot that we see in whether it's ourselves or in our society or in our families that um, still does resonate today. I mean, it's honestly like as simple as it gets, this is a, a, a family who has a lot of issues and is working through them and trying, each character is trying to get what they want. And there's a lot of urgency. And I think a lot of people relate to that because when you get to the core of this play, you're dealing with just a few characters really just trying to find what they want. And I think simplicity is is beautiful to see. And I think um, when you could come at it with a different lens, um, I think that allows something to really last a long time and have the longevity that a piece like Cat on a Hudson Roof has. What is the core, um, and, and, and really there's never just one core in a family struggle. Um, I, I have my own because I'm, I'm a second wife. And so there are three um, siblings that preceded me uh, in their relationship with the, the man I married to, artist Robert Tan. And that's, that's a whole nother core. But um, what, what, is the, what is the core struggle in, in uh, Cat on the Hat Roof? Well, um, depending on what angle you're coming from, of what character's perspective, um, you can come at it from a variety of ways. Um, Maggie is trying to pick herself up out of uh, the gutter, per se, of trying to find sustainable wealth in her life. Um, Brick, who's dealing with the tragic death of his best friend and lover, is trying to come to grips with a reality that he can never explore and never share and is trying to hide. Um, Big Daddy is um, deteriorating right before our eyes. And he's trying to 
mend relationships, but also uh, understand what he's going through. It, it's really, I think when, when people are going through the toughest times in their lives, it's a mental game that we tell ourselves it's fine. And he's going through that struggle. And then you have a character like Big Mama, who is um, really trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what's next and how her role as a matriarch changes in this family. Um, all of them very unique perspectives and all of them conflict with one another, which makes for a really fascinating play when all of these uh, dynamics collide on stage at one time. Um, similarly with the other um, brother and his wife, May and Gooper, uh, they just wanna help, but they want their piece of the pie too. So it's this balance of, there's a lot of greed, I think, involved in this play that I think is one of the main themes Williams was writing about. Um, and the value of true love and the value of family. Um, again, I, I keep going back to there's just so much at stake uh, for everybody and all the everything everybody wants is conflicting with with the other characters. So it's it's really a beautiful struggle to watch. And it's um, and it really is quite common, I think, in in families. And it it really sometimes I, I ask the question, and I couldn't help but think of it while you were talking. Um, is is the family unit structure really the best um, architecture for uh, relationships to last through life? I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> is, is, is a family is, is a family really a good idea? Maybe, maybe. But what would be the alternative? Uh, I mean, it's a different play. I think. Look, if you reanalyze this today, I think um, how families were put together uh, in the mid '50s was different. Uh, how you met people, how you started dating people, was different. Status seemed to play more into that conversation than it does today. Um. So I think, you know, you could be talking about the same, these same kind of characters and types we still see today. I think that's why we still show up to the theater and we still walk out feeling fulfilled by this play. Um, we recognize these people. And um, for me as a director, I really want to ask the questions. You know, I, I don't want the audience to walk out and feel like they have every answer. I hope just like staring at, you know, a work, a, a visual artists work that when I walk away from that museum gallery, I, I want to keep thinking about that painting for a long time and asking questions. And that's what I want to do as a as a theater artist as well. I want the audience to have those questions and to not walk away with all the answers. If you get all the answers by the end of the play, I don't know the reason to go and see the play. Um, it's the questions, it's the journey that we go on that is really the beautiful part. Well, um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful part, but I think one of the real problems with families is also that uh, aside from all the conflicts between the needs and the wants and, um, and and trying to achieve some kind of balance that you're speaking of, is is change is is the is it's hard to achieve change even though you can see that it's needed you don't necessarily have a an idea of how to how to retrieve it how to make it happen but because i'm not sure why 
actually. I say because, and I don't have the I don't have the because. Sure. But it, it's it's I think that that's a good part of why it's so difficult is that there's need for change. Change mm-hmm. is important. Change is needed. We're 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 talking about that more and more in our civic life. How changes are and we we know right now today in America change is drastically important and we're having a real hard time achieving it. Although I am seriously convinced, and I talk about this a lot, that as bad as things got, that was the best thing that could happen in terms of pulling the curtain back on things that were happening that we were not really acknowledging. But uh, Trump did a good job of that. And then um, secondly, I think that we really have a... um, when it gets so bad that it forces change, that, that's that's when it happens. So I'm I'm kind of a um, only a semi, not a serious, but a semi his, his history person. So I studied a lot of history in college, really just because I wanted to, not for any uh, objective uh, in in my careers, but uh, because I was interested. And one of the things that I noticed, um, especially studying things like Russian history and developing country history. I went to the School of Cornell Industrial and Labor Relations, so I discussed a lot about economic development. I discovered that very often a big problem with crime precedes revolution. Think about that. So we, we have had the privilege in America of feeling like there's so much opportunity for everybody that the revolution is unlikely. Well, now there's a different mindset about opportunity. That mindset is that we don't have equity in opportunity. That's the key area about equity. I mean, there's so much conversation about equity right now. And and I I feel it's already becoming something of a cliche without us having really progressed through it. But Certainly, there's a there's an issue with really uh, recognizing how to change. And in a family, I think that's really hard because you come up with these patterns. And there's something about wanting the family to kind of always be there. And that be there and change don't necessarily mesh. Am I anywhere near what you think is going on? Absolutely. Um change is difficult to deal with and change is inevitable. Um, And I think the idea that this play is on stage is also part of that. I mean, live theater is a beautiful thing because you have to be present at that moment, at that place to experience that work of art. And um, so there's change in our show every night, depending on the energy that um, maybe actors are walking in the door with, um, maybe the energy of the audience. There's so many things that can affect a play from night to night. And I think it really syncs up with this family trying to cope with change. I mean, they they really are, they're trying their best. I believe that, uh, I you know, I, I don't think characters, um, they're not doing things they don't believe in. So uh, <laughs> I think it's that reckoning with this change that, life is changing and it's different and how do we deal with it? And um, all of them are just faced head on with a lot of decisions. 
you you mentioned a minute ago, and I think that's fascinating that each production, each evening even, um, has factors that are different from the time before. So it, it it changes literally how the evening flows. Can you give me a little bit of an illustration of that? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, theater is a, a collaborative art form. So a lot of people are doing things throughout the evening that um, can be a ripple effect. Um, and this could, whether an actor is feeling a little heavy hearted one day, maybe walks on feeling something different in their performance or just spending more time with a play, you're gonna grow and you're gonna find more every night or you're gonna walk off stage one night and say like, oh, I think I've been saying this line maybe wrong for a while or maybe I'm finding something new and what my character wants. And so you start to explore those things. So maybe not the, the blocking, you know, the movement around the stage doesn't change, the pace of the play doesn't change, but intentions change. How uh, a tactic to how to how you get what you want can shift, and an audience, uh, you know, our our preview night was filled with laughter from start to finish. A lot of people were laughing at the like situational discomfort that I think they were feeling in the play, oh. and then our opening night audience was silent. Uh, they yeah. didn't laugh once. But there wasn't a, there was just a, they were listening differently. They were both engaged, but, uh, and that affected the performers, uh, whether that affected how long they have to pause for a laugh that they weren't expecting or, you know, feeling like we're, we're back in a rehearsal room of that we can keep the same pace because there's no reaction to hold for from the audience. Um, it's one of the things I love about theater. It's, there is no perfection and there's just process and a journey. And we're going to keep going on the journey. It doesn't stop when we open a play. It stops when we're done the play because you never you, you never stop that process of discovering. What um what in fact how did you in the, in the very beginning how did you get into theater? Oh, great question. Kind of uh <laughs> by accident, I'll say. Um wow. I uh I grew up playing a lot of team sports. Um, <laughs> played basketball primarily, and uh, I loved to read, and I loved Shakespeare. Uh, I think I was a weird uh, athlete at that time. There weren't a lot of kids I could find that were doing that, and um, made a friend who said, oh, we're doing this Shakespeare play at my high school, and we we open in a week, and we need, we need a guy to come and fill in for this role. Do you want to do it? And I said, sure. Um, and then I That's met- That's sure. That's sure. That was a very interesting moment, right? Yeah, it changed my life. Changed my life. And um, I was very lucky to be around people who were very passionate, very talented, um, and very nurturing and caring. And so I, I immediately felt a family and their passion rubbed off on me. Uh, I think I was 16 or 17 when this happened. Um, so some could argue kind of finding theater a little later in my life. I know a lot of my friends in the theater world started doing theater when they were really, really young. I didn't have that exposure. Um, but once I had it, I, I felt a home. I felt the, the collaborative effort of theater felt very similar to playing a sport where I had teammates and we needed to rely on one another to achieve a goal. I think I just liked being 
uh, creative. I always enjoyed uh, exploring creativity and reading and uh, asking why, <laughs> which I think is a big thing for an artist, that curiosity of why things are the way they are and to explore. So interesting because, you know, I, I, I did I have a moment when I thought I was interested in theater and I remember that I had to read something in a class. <laughs> the teacher was merciless. She said, oh, Jean, you don't have theater in your future. <laughs> so that was the end of that. And then, um, but I did, on the other hand, get involved with dance. I was always involved with creative pursuits and I became a dancer instead. But um, I, I think that uh, the basketball part, I have to come back to that for a minute. So Zion <laughs> is a poet. He studied poetry in college. I'm not going to say it was a dominant thing in his life, but he, he did. And I was always trying, and I haven't had a chance to get to him and find out what that's all about. I mean, it, it's on my bucket list of things that I want to do because I'd love to involve him in some youth um, art projects that I, I would, I, I think he would uh, be enjoy and want to do. But, you know, Zion, the basketball player and poetry, and you in theater and poet and 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 uh, um, basketball. Now, basketball to me, by the way, is less. It, it is sport, but it always looked one of the reasons why it's the only sport that I do like as a spectator sport is because it looks like dance to me. It it really does. I mean, it it's modern dance. Uh, it's very athletic. Um, there's you know this. Um, the lines, the vertical lines and the horizontal lines are so dance oriented. Um, though I, I, a lot of my theater training revolved around a lot of movement and a lot of dance. Um, so, and I think that was probably part of that. Um, I, it was just in my body, that physicality. Yeah. So I have to um, make sure to ask you this question and then I want you to go back to the details of the production because we're going to run out of time and I don't want to, uh, we need to remind people of exactly where and when and, uh, sure. and, where, and where to park in the French <laughs> Quarter, my God. So um, it's actually not so bad for Le Petit because you can go right up by the river. But um, mm -hmm. so uh, uh, what, what? Um, let's see how to, um, how to do this. So what, what is the um, the heart of the theatrical experience in New Orleans uh, all about? What and how do you see it developing? Right now, it seems like there's kind of a upsurge, an upswing in the number of performances going on in the different kinds of theater being performed. And um, I, I don't know. I would I would say that uh, um, it's really coming alive. In a, in a way that I don't really remember from when I first got here. And we always have to fight that music and food, you know, images the city has and say, well, there's also, you know, visual arts and there's design and there's theater and there's poetry and literature and so on. But um, how do you view the trend in, in theater in New Orleans right now? Yeah, um, I think it's exciting. It's exciting to be a theater artist in New Orleans. I think we're, there's a lot of momentum being built right now. Um, 
And I, so I, I grew up here in New Orleans. I, I lived away for about 15 years. So I, I lived in New York for about seven years and then moved to Los Angeles to get my master's in producing. Um, and then I just moved back here in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I think that pandemic, like it was for a lot of people, was a, an opportunity. And I think the theater community here made that opportunity worthwhile. I'm seeing a big surge of art, uh, of live performance. We're seeing a lot of theater right now. It's tough because I don't know how many shows opened last week, but like so many things open the exact same time and are running the exact same time, which is tough. But I keep saying that, you know, we're, we're trying to rebuild audiences like anybody is right now, post pandemic. And um, it's almost a muscle that we have to train ourselves to go back to see a play. I know when, when I'm in the rhythm of going to see a play a few times a month, it's just something I look for and something I do. We took two years off of that. So I think there's this challenge to all of us, including the theater artists, that we need to go support one another and see each other's work. Um, because there's a lot of beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful work happening right now. Uh, a lot of really exciting companies, whether they're at the established brick and mortar companies, and then we have a ton of theater companies that, um, you know, maybe don't have a permanent home, but are using a lot of really unique theaters and spaces to produce their work. And then we have this beautiful touring independent circuit that I think is really beautiful that you're seeing the, particularly the dance theater kind of crossover a lot more. And um, it's just New Orleans is a great place to nurture those artists. Um, it's an affordable place to make art. And I hope more people keep coming here and we continue to build on this momentum. It, it, it's, it, it's been a prime opportunity and it's still ahead. It's just a long journey. And I'm excited to be here in New Orleans and a part of it. So do you see the, the support that the theater and other art forms get uh, from various sources, whether it's philanthropic, public, corporate, um, membership, audience. Um, is that enough to nurture careers for people to be able to stay here for a lifetime career? Um, no, it's not enough. And I'm very grateful to every, every ounce of support, whether that's... <laughs> Sorry for my pup here. Uh, I'm always very grateful for every ounce of support any uh, organization or artist gets, but um, there are a lot of really beautiful models around the country where you're seeing what happens when more support is pouring into the arts, when culture is really getting to the community and um, I think it lifts up the places that we live. And I think New Orleans has this opportunity. We we pride ourselves on being a place that really thrives on its culture. And if we really want that more support, the better. So that, I don't know if there's ever a line where I say, yes, it's enough because more support means more voices are heard. More support means more resources for artists and our communities to come together and to talk and to make work and 
that seems really exciting. So I don't know if I would ever say uh, it's enough because there's always there's always hungry artists looking for resources. Well, let, let me put that question just slightly a different way. And I, I, I don't want to run out of time sure. for you to put your details back out there again. But um, uh, um, is it enough in competition with other places is a, another way to ask that question. So, I mean, it, it is, there's never enough support for the arts. I mean, even in, sure. in a city like New York or L.A. or we're always struggling for that. And and we haven't really come to, I think, um, an institutional society-wide way of supporting the arts that really makes sense and that reflects mm -hmm. the value of it. So um, I don't know what they did in Greek and Roman days and, and Shakespeare days that um, was was better or worse, but uh, we're still not there yet, so to speak. I agree. So, um, I agree. I mean, as yes. a theater artist, we need more resources. You know, if if I can tell you we have 30 professional companies, but 25 of them don't have a, a permanent home and don't have a place that they can rehearse regularly and perform regularly, that's a big gap. I would love New Orleans to have a theater center. I would love to see a place that could house theater projects and dance projects and have a gallery and have rehearsal spaces and have office spaces. Uh, this city needs a hub. And that's a real, I think that would be a beautiful investment in this community of how more support could really go a long way as a theater artist and speaking for the theater community. Okay, I'm gonna want you to write me something on that because we need to get what you just said and, uh, and a little bit of elaboration on that into the strategic plan for the creative industries that the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, which I happen to run. So I would, um, I would love to chat more. I've actually been working on a pitch deck for about a year now on what um, a performance space, incubator space could look like for theater artists. So I would love to chat more. Let's do that. In the meantime, let's get people in to see Ken yeah. on the roof. So <laughs> give me the details. Sure. So Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is running uh, for the next two weekends. That's Thursday through Sunday. Uh, Thursday through Saturday, our shows are at 7.30 and our Sundays are at 3. So that'll run again through the 26th of this month. Um, and we really hope you can join us. It's been a special run and um, very. I think uh, our whole team just very proud of the work we get to share and hopefully engaging the community in some really valuable uh, discourse. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Sal. I'm so glad that you said yes when you were asked to perform uh, out of the blue and um, uh, that, that shaped a life that uh, is part of our cultural fabric and, and community here. So um, have a great run and uh, let's, let's definitely talk some more. We will. You, have, you have my contact information, so I'm gonna count on hearing from you. Absolutely. Uh, especially Absolutely. right now when my head is like, thanks for, thanks for having me here. It was really nice to meet you and chat with you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. All right. I Bye -bye. will um, try to get there. Sounds good. <laughs> Same. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. -bye. Bye.